Get ready for a journey into the heart of Bridgeport politics with In Absentia, a new podcast from Connecticut Public's investigative team, The Accountability Project. Learn about the city's past and present political dysfunction and the systems that enable it. Tune in wherever you get your podcasts. Funding provided by Gregory Melville and Susan Fox and Kathleen Bromage. From Connecticut Public Radio in Hartford, this is Audacious. I'm Kyone Wolf. For most of us, managing uncomfortable sensations both in and outside of our bodies is pretty easy. If you feel hot and start to get sweaty, you can turn on the AC. If the sound on a video you're watching is too loud, just turn down the volume. But what if your body reacted to conditions in extreme ways that were harder to control? Today you'll meet Karen Toriaga. She has a genetic condition called hyperhidrosis. It causes uncontrollable, excessive, and unpredictable sweating, which has been manifesting in her hands and feet ever since she was a little baby. When I'm fully sweating, dripping, there's no way I can turn it off. We'll hear more from Karen later, but first, David Vance. I was worried when I connected with David that just asking him questions would hurt him. That's because David has hyperacusis. All sounds are excruciating to him. David connected with me wearing ear protection and told me about how it wasn't always this way. So back in 2017, 2018, during um, lymphoma treatments for cancer, uh, three quarters of the way through my radiation treatment and chemotherapy before that, I started to notice tinnitus in my ears. And it's been in my ears before after a gig or being on a club night and it would go away the next day, but this time it wasn't going away. And three months down the road at work, when I went back to work in the hospitality and food industry, uh, clanking of plates, yelling all over the place, and my ears were just sensitive to certain sounds, especially the plates clanking in the restaurant. And so I went to go see a doctor, uh, multiple doctors actually, and they told me I had no ear infection. I had no idea what was going on. And finally, I saw a doctor a walk-in doctor, and he said it could be related to my TMJ, saw a TMJ doctor, and then he diagnosed me with hyperacusis. How did it feel getting that diagnosis? It wasn't as extreme at the time. It was very mild. Um, The doctor said that there was not really any treatment for it. They gave me a medication to tone down the symptoms and actually wipe the symptoms away for two weeks. So I thought it was completely gone. So I was relieved, but then two weeks later, it came back and it was not fun. I remember walking down the streets in downtown Toronto and before lymphoma, I would be okay just walking beside construction sites going to work. At this time, I was running away from things and trying to find the quietest spot. I would go hang out at the beach because it was so quiet. Is there a way to articulate exactly what this feels like for you? Definitely, for sure. So what it feels like now is any sounds that come through my ears, if I'm not wearing any hearing protection, I have to wear earplugs 24-7, no matter what. Um, but even if loud sounds come through, like 
construction sounds, uh, plates clanking, jackhammers, anything like that. It feels like stabbing pain into my ears. Um, it feels like my ears are on fire and there's like burning acid, like dripping, gooping from it. It's hard to explain. It's hard for someone with normal hearing to be able to comprehend that, but that's exactly what it feels like. What are some sounds that are soothing, if any? To be honest, right now there are not much. <laughs> In the beginning, um, I could listen to like light melodic music, but over time as my condition has progressed, there's not really much sounds that are soothing, to be honest. At an extreme level like I have, um, anything pretty much irritates the ear. Uh, I could be having a good day, though, and then some sounds that hurt me a day before might not hurt me as much. So it's up and down. And for a lot of people who I've spoken with, who I speak with all the time, it's the same thing with them. It's just up and down. Does it affect your sleep? It did affect my sleep in the beginning, uh, especially with the ringing in the ears. Um, or if there are sounds at night. And the way that I go around that is using certain sleeping medications that are not really harmful, that help. CBD cannabis products help. And I definitely wear earplugs to bed. So the combination of like some meds and earplugs, it helps me to sleep. But in the beginning, I couldn't sleep at all. But for you, like a white noise machine would be a terrible idea. Oh, yeah, it would be exceedingly <laughs> terrible. Yeah, white noise, it definitely, it doesn't help. For some people, it helps. But for me, it's just a no-go. When you speak, how does that feel? Because you're making noise, but it's coming from inside your head. It's a strange and odd feeling, to be honest. When I'm speaking, like especially right now, it doesn't feel too painful because I have earplugs in. If I were not to have earplugs in, then like after a couple of minutes, my own voice would probably be piercing to my ears. And like I said, it's up and down. So like some days, if I'm having a bad day and I'm speaking, even if I have earplugs in, I am feeling some pain, but usually 70% of the time, I don't feel pain when I'm speaking with hearing protection on. Yeah, like today we were going to use closed captions to have this conversation so I, I wouldn't hurt you. But you said, you know, actually, I'm having a good day today. I imagine my voice right now is on really low, right? It's actually on high because I have earplugs in. So like if I took the earplugs out, your voice, like, I would not be able to handle it. <laughs> I don't, I don't want to hurt you. So I'm glad that um, I have access to hearing protection and I woke up and today's a good day. So I'd like to hear more about how you've acclimated. You had to move because of this, right? I've had to move multiple times, multiple times. And I moved is since 2019. I've moved maybe like 10 times going into 10 different residences and I would call them and talk about sound. Sound would be okay, but for the normal hearing person, it's not my type of quiet. And I would always find something wrong 
either the neighbors upstairs are walking way too loud or people in their homes living with other people are just too loud, can't control other people. And with this, I'm not working because of how extreme it is. So being on a disability budget and trying to find your own accommodations is pretty much the hardest thing ever. I was just living with a person who has hyperacusis and her hyperacusis was different than mine and her mother was helping her and she couldn't adapt to two different like types of needs from two different people. It was too much. And so I left, but in terms of housing, it's just been a nightmare. And I've had family just tell me, oh, you're going to have this noise. You're going to have that noise one day. And if I were in your position, I would just stay in one spot and then try to adapt to it. But they're not in my shoes and they're not feeling what I'm feeling. So like they always say, you got to be in someone else's shoes to know exactly what they're going through. So it's been really hard finding the right accommodations. And even to this day, I'm still trying to search for the best place, which is pretty hard. Yeah, it seems as though the right accommodations would be accommodations in which you are more and more alone. Is that right? Well, yeah, like the ideal environment for me and somebody else with hyperacusis is like living in the middle of the woods. If you're going to live in the middle of the woods and like a soundproof cabin, like you've got no stores close, the hospital's far away. If you need to get some medical help, you might have somebody living with you and helping to do things. Um, but everything is just far away. What if you have an emergency and the closest hospital is like an hour and a half away? Um, or if you really need to get something, um, and especially in those areas, if you're ordering in, like there's not even those services really out there. So it's, it's a mind part of my language (laughs) and finding the right exact spot. Like my ideal place for me would be in like an old person apartment building in a suburb um, around a city that is quiet and having other people in the building who are compassionate. They don't even have to be compassionate as long as they don't make noise. Living in that type of environment would be great, but it's just so hard to find that especially around the world right now and especially in Canada with inflation so high because of everything that's been happening, it's even more of a struggle right now. So, Is there anything, and I mean anything at all, that has been good about having hyperacusis? What's been good about it is... For me, I'm an extrovert and I like to get out and do things. I was in the music industry before. I've always been the head of a lot of the things that I do, especially working in hospitality, always been a leader and I'm a creative person. And so I've 
came up with creative outlets on how to raise awareness with starting my own blog, um, coming up with different ideas on how to manage things to say to friends and family, things to do, um, creating new nonprofits. And it's given me purpose, I guess, in helping myself, but more so I'm helping others deal with their situation from my experiences. And I guess from my creative outlook on things and the fact that people can message me or sometimes call me when having a good day and being like, Hey, David, like that blog post you wrote the other day or that company that you started last year has really helped. And my family now understands that I'm living a better life. So that gives me satisfaction that I was able to help somebody else through it. And since it's helped them, it's helped me feel better about myself because it usually helps both ways. So in terms of anything positive that's came out from it, it's been all the work that I've done and the positive feedback that has came from it, which is astounding. So maybe it's one of my purposes in life, even though deep down inside, I don't really want it to be, but it it's all about acceptance. And I guess it's rolling with what I have and this is the best that I might be able to get and hopefully things get better down the line. That was David Vance of Ontario, Canada. When we get back, if David could be rid of this condition, what would he do? I would go outside without hearing protection. I would walk to the coffee shop. I would get a coffee. I would speak to the baristas. Plus, what's it like when you're a professional musician and you have a condition that makes your hands sweat excessively? My flute would rust. The rods would get gunked up from my sweat and I would feel so awful just holding it and knowing that I'm breaking it as I'm playing it. I'm Kion Wolf. This is Audacious. Stay with me. Support for this podcast comes from Hartford HealthCare. Elevating Health is funded by Hartford HealthCare. ECMO is a leading-edge, life-saving treatment for patients with cardiac or respiratory failure. Dr. Jason Gluck, director of the Mechanical Circulatory Support Program and Emergency Cardiac Care at Hartford Hospital, explains what it is. So ECMO stands for extracorporeal membrane oxygenation, outside the body oxygenation of blood. It's a life support technique that's used by highly sophisticated medical systems for patients with severe heart or lung failure. The technique involves removing blood from the body, oxygening it, and then returning it back. ECMO procedures happen in the ICU, but not all hospitals are equipped with the necessary technology and staff. Dr. Gluck describes Hartford Hospital's ECMO Go team. So ECMO is considered when treatments have failed, and in our center, with a special ECMO on the go team, we'll actually take that technology to their hospital and help them out there if they need to to stabilize the patient and then bring them back to heart for recovery. For more information, go to ctpublic.org slash health. This is Audacious. 
I'm Kion Wolf. David Vance wants to hear your voice. He wants to hear traffic, the bad Muzak in the grocery store, the beep from the microwave telling him that the food is cooked. But every sound he hears is excruciating because of his rare condition, hyperacusis. He's had it since 2017. It came on while he was going through chemotherapy for lymphoma, and it just got worse and worse. He joined me wearing ear protection for this interview. If you woke up tomorrow morning and this thing was gone, <laughs> what would be the first thing you think you'd do? I would go outside without hearing protection. I would walk to the coffee shop. I would get a coffee. I would speak to the baristas. I would speak to people <laughs> coming back. I would call all my friends and family. I'd be like, hey, you guys want to get together? So I would just be engaging with real life as much as I possibly can and taking advantage of the things that I used to be able to do, which I might have taken granted for. And now I'm just wanting to do those things so badly. So it's just the simple things in life. And... I would give anything just to go and see my family and not be in pain and engage with them. And especially seeing my nieces and nephews grow, it's been hard watching them grow online and not be there in person. So it's just the simple everyday things in life. I would just give anything to be able to do. It sounds too like you probably miss yourself the you that you've known up until the last five, six years. Do you miss that you? I do. And I still grieve myself. And I think I'm going to probably continue to grieve for a long time. Like I said, I used to work in the hospitality industry and in restaurants, fine dining, serving celebrities. It was my passion. And if I can go back and do that, I would give anything like it would just be amazing especially doing my music performing on stage it would be it would be great now and like i can write and i've been writing a lot of poetry which is amazing and it helps me still to be able to do something creative but to be able to live my full potential creative life again would be exceedingly amazing <laughs> Well, you bring up poetry. You have something you might be able to read us? Definitely, for sure. I can read that right now. I actually just wrote something last night. Where am I going? I just don't know. Who is this? What is about to unfold? I keep trying my best, not sure which way to turn, sometimes feeling the burn, lessons I need to learn. Got to keep myself centered and follow what I do. Stay on track. Don't want to lose. One day at a time. Sometimes I'm blind. Please give me the signs. Together, let's decide. Nowhere to hide. Telling no lies. Is there a prize? Please, God, help me to survive. It's a crazy world. Just got to let go. Can only control myself. Nobody else, I'm told. Life is such a gamble. Don't want to go that way. But it's not my choice. Only you get to say Hope it all works out. I'm trying my best. Working with what I got. Seems you're giving me the test. Here I lay. Where have I been? Not sure what to think of it all. Don't want to sin. The mind is number one. Good thoughts, I pray. Words turn into actions. Every day I praise. Help me to have what I want. 
God, take away my pain with myself. Need to slam on the brakes. Be patient and wait. I'm needing your grace. Please help me to change. Gotta jump this hurdle and take things to new skies. Let it be your will, I pray. Thank you. In your poetry, I hear uh, faith in God. And I wonder, you know, we try to make meaning out of like, why would God do this to me, right? If, if you believe in God, you think, why would God let this happen? Is that a question you sit with? It is a question that I sit with. Um, and especially when I went through lymphoma, there were some bad habits that like I needed to get rid of and I wasn't getting rid of them. And having that, I was able to get rid of certain habits because I just couldn't do them anymore. And I'm very spiritual and very into God. And I believe it all happened for a reason and I was able to kick away those habits. But with hyperacusis, it's hard to dabble into the spiritual aspect. Um, and sometimes I think to myself, I'm like, God, why the heck did you give me this? Um, am I not listening to what you're saying? Am I not meditating enough? Is that the sign? Like, you know, you're punishing my ears or could there be something karmic related and maybe in a past life, I did something really bad and now I'm being punished for it. And now I'm enduring this. Um, other ways, maybe he's just trying to give me some kind of purpose and seeing hypercusis is so rare and there's not much stuff on the internet. There's hyperacusis research and kindly everyone, if you're watching this, donate to hyperacusisresearch.org. They are amazing. We're trying to find our cure, but maybe God is taking my creative abilities in which I believe that were engraved in me since I was a child and there's nobody else like me in the community. And I even get it from people in the organization that I volunteer with. They're like, I'll, I'll take a break for like six months. And they're like, when are you coming back? Because we don't really have anybody who's as creative as you are. And I'm like, I don't know. We'll just see as time goes on and I'll come back. And then all sudden things will just start flowing again. And so maybe with my persona and creative abilities and the way that I assert myself, I can be, or I'm meant to be one of the potential many good faces of this condition to help it to grow and for people to get to know about it, especially even with doing this radio interview. I don't even think people have really done this before. I think there have been a couple of podcasts with hyperacusis research and the founder, rest in peace, Brian Pollard, who did a lot of work. Uh, but maybe that's just my purpose. And God is saying, here, I'm going to give this to you. I want to ask what advice you might have for someone who is just beginning to have their experience with hyperacusis. But I think the better question is what advice would you have for yourself five, six years ago when this started happening and you were confused and what's going to happen? If you could give yourself a pep talk, I'd love to hear it. Accept it. If you can't accept it and you're constantly in the why, 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 why did this happen to me? 
Um, they're not going to get anywhere. It's just negative thinking. Once I accepted it, then I was able to come to terms to a degree and to be able to live somewhat comfortably, accept it. Accept it, and then you can change to the best of your abilities. Well, David Vance, thank you so much for talking with me. Absolutely. It's been a pleasure. Thank you very much for having me. I really appreciate it. To learn more about hyperacusis and to find David's blog, visit ctpublic.org audacious. You'll also see a link to our extended conversation there, which has subtitles. That is the sound of Karen Toriaga playing the Renaissance Concerto by Lucas Foss, Movement One, Entrada, back in 2010. And, you know, anyone would get a little sweaty playing in front of a crowd, but whether Karen Toriaga is playing in Carnegie Hall or just existing, her hands and feet often sweat profusely. She has hyperhidrosis. It's a genetic condition, and she began showing symptoms in her hands and feet when she was a little kid. We found her through this great video interview she did talking about this, and when we connected, she told me about how her mom first picked up on something being different. I was one year old. She noticed I was leaving sweaty footprints uh, as I was standing, as I was learning to walk. And so she brought me to the doctor. Doctor tested me for a bunch of things. At this time, doctors didn't even have any name for it. They just were like, oh, she's fine. It's not life-threatening. Go along your life. It wasn't until the internet, I was in middle school, and finally this condition had a name. And it was out of my own research. And I was like, mom, I actually found a name for this. <laughs> Hyperhidrosis is, is so rare. It's, it's rarely known, even to doctors. More and more doctors are knowing about it, but there's the International Hyperhidrosis Society is a plays a huge part in giving doctor trainings and conferences to try and make it more mainstream. How did it feel when you got that diagnosis? I was relieved that it had a name and that I wasn't the only one. Granted, it's very rare. And so I still felt alone, but I felt less alone. What's really interesting is that um, when I was in middle school and I was researching it myself, the research at that time had said the stats were, we think 1% of the world population has this. I'm like, wow, that's so small. Then when I was in college, because I think this was one of the last stats that I had reported on, on uh, my blog, which is called Just a Little Sweat, and it was up to 3% of the world population. I'm like, oh, okay, it's getting more people out there. And just as I was preparing to talk to you, I looked and now it's up to 5% of the world population, which is still very small, but I'm like, it keeps increasing. And I think it's a lot of times rare because people don't want to talk about it. Can you talk about exactly how hyperhidrosis manifests in you? So for me, I have excessive sweating of hands and feet. It starts with a clammy hand, but you know, within 60 seconds, I can start feeling my hands start to 
prickle and all of a sudden I'm starting to see droplets of water on my fingertips and on my palms. It's not ever on the backs of my hands, sometimes on the back of my fingers if it gets very, very bad. For me as well, I have swelling of my hands and feet when I am sweating. So when I'm fully, my hands are fully sweating, dripping, there's no way I can turn it off. I have to hold on to paper towels. I'm wiping my hands on my jeans. Sometimes I'll dunk my hands in ice cold water or even put an ice cube on the inside of my wrist um, to just try and cool my internal temperature off or drink water. I, I do a lot of those coping mechanisms to try and get my core temperature or what my perceived temperature down. Oh, well, you talk about that. Is it like, what makes this worse? So I can sweat for no reason at all, but things that do make it worse are heat, whether natural heat from the outside or if the heat is on in the winter. Being nervous can definitely bring it on as well. Um, but sometimes, and a lot of times, it's the circle is I'm sweating and because I'm sweating, I'm nervous, not the other way around. I want to back up to when you were a teenager. Teenagedom sucks for most <laughs> yeah. of us. Being a teen is hard enough as it is. And people are worrying about their appearance. And you had this extra layer of anxiety and self-consciousness because your hands would literally be dripping. And uh, I'd, I'd like to hear about what impact that had on your teenage years. What? How did you... How did you cope with that? And what were you really worried about back then? So yeah, teenage years, definitely. They were the hardest with hyperhidrosis. So for me, um, hyperhidrosis made me who I am today. It, it made me, it helped make me into an introvert. I, I kind of withdrew myself and into myself. Um, I know that being at school, um, having this extra layer to worry about all the time. I, I never could fully be myself. I could never fully let myself go to even learn to sit in class as my primary responsibility to listen to the teacher and learn the subject because I'm always thinking that, um, you know, this is going on with me right now. Oh, I'm sweating. I, I can't get comfortable with myself. I, where do I put my hands? <laughs> but yeah, just I know that having that extra layer and being so self-conscious, even the smallest decisions and the biggest decisions, smallest even being to what fabrics to wear, what colors to wear, where to sit in class. I kind of tried to just be as invisible as possible. And when you're that age, you're also thinking about like the crushes you have on the people you go to school with. And will anybody want to hold your hand? Will anybody ever want to be with you? Mm -hmm. What kind of things were going in your head with that? In middle school, I don't even want to hold my own hand. So like, why would anyone else want to hold my hand? So I just didn't think that was a possibility for me at all. Nowadays, 
that's one of the biggest questions I get from readers of my blog. They're, they ask about dating and, and how, how do you get over that? Um, and I try to tell them that, you know, the right person isn't going to care. And you really want to believe that. And, and I, I do, I do believe that. I'm happily married now, almost seven years. Congratulations. And I saw him in the video. What a sweetheart. Oh, thank you. <laughs> you both got lucky. Yeah, he's wonderful and been extremely supportive. What was it? Can I jump in, actually? Yeah. How did you talk about it when you first started seeing him and getting to know each other? And you, had, you want to tell this guy about this condition? Yeah. I think I was really lucky. At the time I met him, I was on a successful treatment. I was on an oral medication called glycopyrrolate, and it suppressed excessive sweating. It's, it's also used for ulcers and things like that, but it was, it was a successful drug and they still sell it today for use for people who have hyperhidrosis. I'm not on it anymore. It stopped working for me, but when I was on it, uh, all through four years of college, and that's where I met my husband, it was successful. So when I met him, the, the excessive sweating was suppressed, which gave me a huge opportunity to feel more confident and be more of myself and kind of explore where my potentials are. And yeah, when I met him, I didn't have to go into it because I thought, wow, okay, I'm, I, I told him, I, I said, I have this, but, but you don't really know until you see the excessive sweating in action. So it wasn't until about a year into our relationship when I moved to New York City and we then became long distance. So he was finishing out college in Fredonia. I went to New York City to start grad school and this medication stopped working and it was the most devastating, devastating point I think I've, I've had and very clear was the, the brutal hot subways and just drenched and, and melting. I, I would say my hands are melting. This was to the point I was almost getting into depression and starting back from square one. I couldn't believe that I, my whole life was like going back to um, this very severe excessive sweating. So since we, my husband and I at that point had been together a year we had a stronger foundation and I, then I was able to, um, you know, at that point I showed him like, Hey, this is me. This is my true self. Since the medicine stopped working, now you can see. And, you know, he was supportive from day one. And I, I would always be like, Oh, you know, I don't want to, like, I don't even want to hold your hand. It's uncomfortable. Like it feels uncomfortable to me. And I think that's, something that is hard to explain that it physically just feels uncomfortable, but he, he's like, you know, if, if you'll let me, I would love to hold your hand and, and I will hold your hand really tight. <laughs> and it's just, it was so sweet. And yeah, no, he's, he's been my rock through all of this. Does he have a sister? No, I know. Okay. Right. <laughs> just checking. He's uh, an only child. <laughs> All right. Well, I'll keep looking. And not to be like a commercial for this drug, but it sounds to me like 
and correct me if I'm wrong, if you hadn't had this opportunity to be somewhat exempt from this condition for a little while. So you were able to kind of try yourself on for once without it. Mm -hmm. If it weren't for that, you maybe wouldn't, I mean, there's a lot that goes into who you are right now, but it sounds like that opportunity to be yourself without it was truly formative. Yeah. Definitely. Yeah. And it came at the right, the best time. I was in college. I just moved to start my four years at Fredonia. First time living on my own, um, was studying flute performance. So that was huge too, because being a flute player with hyperhidrosis has been incredibly challenging. And so I was, you're right, I was kind of given an an exemption for four years that really helped me. I think, I truly think that was where I hit my peak of performing and really was able to just fly with it. That was Karen Toriaga of New York City. She has hyperhidrosis and sweats excessively in her hands and feet. You can find a link to her blog and to the Hyperhidrosis Society at ctpublic.org audacious. We're going out with a recording of Karen playing the Renaissance Concerto by Lucas Foss, Movement One Entrada, back in 2010. After the break, what was it like when she took the stage at Carnegie Hall? It's so hard because it's like, you want to be musical, and just play the flute, just play the music. And, and I couldn't because I was just severely melting on the stage. I'm Kyone Wolf. This is Audacious. Be right back. This is Audacious. I'm Kyone Wolf. Sweating can be embarrassing for some people, but for those with hyperhidrosis, a condition that causes unpredictable, uncontrollable sweating, it can also be incredibly isolating. People who have hyperhidrosis don't often talk about their experience. They expect to be mocked or misunderstood, and many feel like they're the only ones in the world who have to deal with it. But it turns out, 365 million people worldwide have this condition. That's according to the International Hyperhidrosis Society. Karen Toriaga has been learning about and trying to control excessive sweating in her hands and feet her whole life. Let's get back to our conversation. Will you talk about your experience uh, with the flute and this condition? By the way, is it, can you please solve this for once and for all? Is it flutist or flautist? Flutist in America. Okay. Yes. <laughs> okay. So I, I'd love to hear about your experience being a flutist with this condition. Well, I'm really glad that I chose the flute. Had I chosen a string instrument, I probably would have quit by now. I think strings with hyperhidrosis or even I don't know, so many other instruments too. So glad I played flute. I, my flute would rust all the time. It would, the, the rods would get gunked up from, I know from my sweat and I would feel so awful just holding it and knowing that I'm breaking it as I'm playing it. And uh, I had this one repair person who he just kind of knew, I never even told him. He just, he like, he would look at it. It's like, what the heck? And I never told him why it was getting like that, but he just kind of 
got to know that was the special repair he needed to do on my flute. So I would bring it to him like once every two months because it would really, it would stop working. But practicing, especially I grew up in upstate New York in the summers, very hot. My childhood home, we didn't have air conditioning. But one thing that always helped me with hyperhidrosis is a nice constant airflow, like a fan. So even now, like I do work in front of a fan to help, it does help kind of dry the, the sweat out. But for me as a flutist, I'm like, I'm not going to play my flute near a fan because I hated that wah, wah, wah sound. Um, so I would stand in a bathtub full of ice water or cold water with bare feet up to my ankles and have my music stand in outside of it and just play because that way the cold water on similar to like the inside of my wrist, but it was the insides of my ankles. It was helping me cool my body temperature down and it would allow me to just get through a practice session. That was my, yeah, pretty much every summer practicing or whenever it started to get really hot. Um, I'd be like, mom, go into the bathroom to practice. And you were mentioning earlier about how anxiety can start or feed into the loop of it getting worse and worse. You played at Carnegie Hall. Yes. Yeah. What was that like with this condition at the same time? Oh, I, I want to say that it was amazing and it, it was overall, but as I was in it, I could not enjoy it. I was in an orchestra and the rehearsal, they pretty much had the lights the way it was going to be. And I don't know what I was thinking. I forgot my towel. I have no idea where it went or something. So I raced between the end of rehearsal and call for performance. I raced to the pottery barn around the corner. And oh, so it was going to be an expensive towel. I know. <laughs> I picked up a little washcloth for $49.99. Yeah, yeah, seriously. <laughs> and they didn't have black either because we're all in concert black, but they had dark blue. And I was like, all right, I'm kind of in the middle. No one's going to notice. But so we get to performance. I have my towel and we're playing. And my hands were just so bad. I could do nothing. I, I know it's, it really is uncontrollable, but a lot of it, sometimes I'm like, oh, maybe I'll, I can try and meditate. I, maybe I'll try and breathe it away. <laughs> you know, I'm like doing all these different coping techniques. I'm like, nope, it's, it's just not. I'm just, I'm just had to take it as a business transaction almost <laughs> like all right this is where I'm gonna play and this is where I'm gonna hold on to my towel for dear life it's so hard because it's like you want to be musical and be in the moment and just play the flute just play the music and and I couldn't because I I was just severely melting on the stage um to the point where I, I was not comfortable and I had to really just do anything that I could just to get through. So unfortunately it was almost like a counting down till I got off the stage. And it's, then you think about it afterwards and it's, yeah, it just makes me very sad that I couldn't soak up the entire moment, a glorious moment that it should have been. So how are you now? What is this like for you today? 
I've felt a little removed actually from the hyperhidrosis community since 2018. Um, this is because in 2018, I started working from home even before the pandemic. Working from home, I've told people, has kind of been the biggest coping mechanism of hyperhidrosis I've ever come across. I can regulate my own temperatures. I don't have to see anybody. I don't have to worry that I'm going to shake people's hands or that they're going to see me writing on a notepad and having the paper curl up and me having to lie it away. When I was in the office, I had this mortifying experience of someone, I was just doing a project with someone, they were standing behind me as I'm typing and I'm leaving puddles on my keyboard. And I was like, how, they obviously see this, how do I explain this? I don't know how to, expl how to explain it at all. I didn't explain it. But working from home too, I have a fan next to me. I, I'm, I'm just able to control my environment. So um, I've been okay because I can control my environment. I don't plan to work at home forever. Um, I'm actually looking in the future to become a teacher. And so I know I'm aware and conscious of, that I'm going to be putting myself into these daily struggles again, whenever that happens, because there's just no way around it. So yeah, part of me is like, why am I doing, why am I going to do that? Um, you know, there are plenty of people with hyperhidrosis who have chosen careers because of hyperhidrosis. They've chosen careers where they don't have to interact with people or, you know, I just think to myself, like even holding a stack of construction paper with sweaty hands sounds awful to me. So I know I'll get through it, but I'm really nervous about putting myself back out there. Um, other things that have changed are now I have two children. Congratulations. Thank you. I have two sons. I have a three and a half year old and an eight month old. I'm amazed that they've been very quiet this whole time. I haven't heard anything. They are at daycare. That's why. Oh, <laughs> but um, yeah, something that's interesting about hyperhidrosis is that it is hereditary. Um, I'm not the only one in my family who has it, actually. My aunt has it. Wait, when did you find this out? I found this out uh, maybe when I was in middle school, when I finally found out the name and my mom brought it up to her sister, who she realized was like, oh, my sister had excessively sweaty hands. And then we just started talking about it. And um, yeah, I can confide in her. So my children, yes. Yeah, so, so it's hereditary. And so I've always been nervous that my kids were going to be passed down the gene. You know, now, now they've been born and we, my husband and I are very super aware uh, of what to look out for. And so far, they do not exhibit any signs of hyperhidrosis, which is incredible. And it's like such a huge relief and weight taken off my shoulders. We're still very hyper aware though, because it can manifest um, later on in life, especially during puberty. Um, but we know what to look out for. Um, I just, you know, I really don't, wouldn't want my kids to go through what I went through in childhood. 
Um, although I am so in it now, like I, I know how I would help them so that there's the positive. If you could travel back in time to when you were a little kid, knowing there was something different about you, what do you wish you could say to her? You have hyperhidrosis and there's nothing, nothing wrong with you at all. No, you are beautiful and absolutely loved and hyperhidrosis does not define you at all. It, it has maybe informed decisions and what you might need to wear or, or do to feel comfortable, but it doesn't, it shouldn't define you. At least um, there are ways to make accommodations and be creative. Really, just be, be creative to, to find a way to do what you want to do. Well, Karen Toriaga, thank you so much for talking with me. Thank you, Kayon. Thank you also to Karen for so beautifully playing us out of this episode with Gobert's Flute Sonata Number no. 3, Movement 3. Audacious is always lovingly produced by me, Jessica Severin Martinez, Khalil Rahman, Meg Fitzgerald, Meg Dalton, and Katie Talarski at Connecticut Public Radio in Hartford. Hearing stories from people who have misunderstood or uncommon conditions is a big part of Audacious, which is why you'll see so many of them in our podcast feed. Like my conversation with a man who is incapable of feeling any physical pain, and another who remembers almost every day of his life as if it were yesterday. You can find them at ctpublic.org or wherever you get your podcasts. Send me your thoughts on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Wolf, or you can always send an email to audacious at ctpublic.org. Thanks for listening.